Today on Ag News Daily. Originally, we thought we were going to see it a little bit earlier, and it seems like it's getting delayed and delayed uh, as to when some of this uh, colder uh, air is going to come down into the central and eastern United States. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mike Pearson, joined here by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, it is a good afternoon indeed, weather-wise at least. It is, and we're going to be talking about weather a little bit later on here with Ed Valley of Valley Weather Consultant to talk about 2019 weather for not only the U.S. and Midwest, but also for our South American counterparts. That's right. So we've got a big show coming up. Mm -hmm. We've got news. But you've got something you want to talk about, Delaney. (laughs) Okay. It's not really like, I mean, it is news, but it's not really related to ag news. But I was looking through the wires this morning, and I ran across this title that said, Zoo animals still need to be fed despite government shutdown. Hmm. I suppose so. I don't know. I just, like, I thought it was very bizarre. I was like, uh, okay, I didn't know the zoos were ran by the government. But they're talking in particular. Exactly. The uh, Washington National Zoo in Washington, D.C. is part of the Smithsonian chain, which is government funded. They said, we still have to feed the zoo animals. Those are apparently deemed an important part, or what's the word? Essential. Essential, yes. Essential government function. Government workers, I've got a solution for you for the zoo animal feeding crisis. Are you ready, Delaney? (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) While you're walking out after you've been furloughed, Uh just open all the cages (laughs) and it'll sort itself out. (laughs) Yeah, the zoo animals will either eat our uh, lawmakers or eat the people and then it'll be deemed an essential function. Well, or they'll eat each other, Delaney. I've Hmm. heard that... uh, you know, lions, they'd probably enjoy a little taste of Asian cuisine, like a panda. Or a penguin. Yeah, those aren't quite Asian, but yeah. Well, no, I know, but I just meant they'd probably enjoy eating a penguin. Oh, absolutely. And you know that penguin's not going to get very far, either. <laughs> no, they will be fly. flopping all over the ground, and then... He'd <laughs> <laughs> be delicious. I just thought that was, like, super bizarre. Sometimes you just run across stuff, and you're like, really, does that really need a news story written about it? Apparently, it does. <laughs> Do you know who the... Uh, who wrote that story? It was Associated Press. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I would have guessed Washington Post or somebody more of a hometown type of no, thing. No, no. Associated Press. Okay. Well, all right. Good news to start the day, folks. <laughs> if you want to steal zoo animals, <laughs> apparently now's the time. Yeah, they're going to be uh, downsized on staff, but still have plenty of staff to feed the zoo animals. So actually, oh. if you're a government employee, maybe you should just go there and get a job there if you need a little break. If you're on so furlough. The animals aren't starving. No, right. Yeah, that's the point. Oh, I thought the point was that they laid off everybody who feeds oh. the animals. No, no, no. They're feeding they're not laying off people that feed oh. the animals. So so really the headline is zoo continues operating as expected. Right. Because Okay. So well, it's not even a news story. No, I know, that's my point. Like why did this Gotcha. Why did this garner a news story in the first place? Yeah, that is stupid. Yeah, well, there's just not a lot of news going on because, as we know, the government is shut down. However, we're going to see Congress come back into session today, so maybe we'll see some things start to finally start rolling. Yeah, President Trump has a meeting with lawmakers set for this afternoon. He made some sounds that perhaps he was willing to negotiate on the $5 billion Mm -hmm. figure that he wants for the wall, but... 
we'll see. A reporter asked him how long he was willing to keep the government shut down for, and he said, as long as it takes. Mm. So I guess that remains to be seen, just how long this will take. But it is starting to get some ag journalists, ag reporters, ag traders a little nervous because January 11th, Mm-hmm. We have USDA report day, mm-hmm. and as of right now, we don't know if those reports are going to be published. Yeah, I was reading an article that said Friday they're going to decide, the USDA is going to decide if they're going to publish those reports or not. Okay. All right. Well, then at least we'll have a definitive answer, yay or nay. Right. Yep. All right. Well, what other news you got for us today, Delaney? Well, also kind of related to government shutdown is what's going on with the Farm Bill and SNAP work requirements. So House Democrats are set to basically challenge Secretary Purdue for his plan to make harder, make it harder for states to get waivers from food stamp work requirements. And I think that's one of the main issues here that the House Democrats will be taking up as soon as they head back to uh, their chambers on Thursday. And... This includes a provision to direct the House's Office of General Counsel to, quote, explore all possible legal options for responding to the new requirements. Okay. It sounds like I don't I don't think that they could sue Secretary Purdue, but it sounds like they're definitely going to take some sort of legal action to try and, I guess, stop him from doing this. Right. Because they don't like the new work requirements that were issued without it being a law. Mm -hmm. They were just what administrative proposals i think so okay Mm, well some more legal wrangling and maneuvering yet to come i am sure Mm -hmm. well we've got news from cargill they reported earlier today a 20 percent drop in year-over-year earnings for their fiscal second quarter of 2019 and they mentioned specifically uh trade tensions are hitting their bottom line plus african swine fever in China Mm -hmm. is hurting them, and the struggling U.S. dairy sector, all those things together are what has resulted in their decline in profits over the past quarter. But the CEO gave a very CEO-type statement. And Delaney, as CEO of Ag News Daily, you've got to learn to give these kind of statements. Are you ready? Yeah, they're like statements that are statements, but they tell you nothing. Exactly. Do you want to hear what uh, Dave McLennan's was? What was it in relationship to? Their fourth quarter, second quarter profit decline. Oh, okay. Something probably the story along the lines that I'm of like, about. yeah, no, I'm glad you're paying attention. No, I meant like, was it specifically related to the fourth quarter declines or was it related to African swine fever? You didn't make that clear. I was just clarifying. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yep, yep. So the profitability declines. Here's what he said Quote, Dave McLennan, Cargill's chairman and chief executive officer, in response to this 20% drop in profitability, he said, quote, We are pushing to ready our businesses for the future with continuous improvement, financial discipline, and a disruptive mindset, end quote. Isn't that that like your your classic CEO statement? Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it tells us nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like when people write news stories about stuff that's basically, there is no news to report. Right, like zoo animals not being fed when (laughs) they're being fed. Yeah, exactly. Hmm, okay, so Cargill's down. What other news you got for us, Delaney? Well, talking about African swine fever, we have some headlines today, kind of really the only thing I've seen as far as headlines go, and that's China is rolling out a new African swine fever protocol, 
And as part of those protocols, uh, this is according to their media reports, so of course we've got to take it with some grain of salt, their new policies include increased testing for the disease and shutdown protocols in the event of a detention, or a detection, excuse me. So we've so far now seen the, the newest total, according to Chinese media, um, at 90 different cases in 23 provinces and municipalities across China with some 73,000 hogs, I guess, reported on the largest farm was 73,000 hogs. So That's under the new policy, number. yeah, Chinese slaughterhouses will also be re required to conduct testing on products to screen for the disease before selling them to the public. All right. So maybe we'll start to get some more accurate numbers coming out of China if they decide yeah. to release those in the general public. If. That's the thing, the big question. Yes, that is the big question. Speaking of livestock and meats, we actually had cash cattle trade get started today. I'm mentioning this because this is a holiday shortened week. The expectation was that packers were not going to be needing a whole lot of mm -hmm. cattle. And typically the cash cattle trade doesn't start in earnest until Friday. But we did have some trade get started today at 123 in Kansas on a live basis. And they say uh, Texas came in on 123 as well. And uh, 15,000 head have traded so far today, which I just thought was was pretty surprising. And tell me why you think that that's surprising. Because it's a holiday shortened week. Yeah. So I don't believe most packing plants operated oh, on New Year's Day. Right. So why do they need cattle that they're willing to buy already by Thursday afternoon was was kind of surprising. Yeah, I guess that's Maybe true. Maybe some strength ahead in the live cattle market. Or there's some sort of demand factor that they know about that we don't yet know about. Well, and actually that was one of the things Cargill talked about. They said that even though their net profitability has declined, one of the bright spots has been beef demand mm -hmm. in the U.S. I think that's absolutely true. That's what we hear a lot of analysts saying time after time. You bet, folks. Keep eating those delicious, delicious steaks. <laughs> well, Mike, the last story I have here is kind of like the Cargill's CEO statement, kind of the no news, good news, etc., or the, you know, just really mild news. And that is that more soybeans are being planned to be sent to China. So apparently on Wednesday, Costco's um Kafka, which is China's biggest food company, was asking for prices, according to four traders familiar with the process, who, of course, asked not to be identified. And so apparently Kafka's inquiries were for prices going on in February and March delivery. OK, well, now we'll see if they actually follow through and write some checks. Last time they asked for prices, they said they were too high. So we'll mm. see what happens here. Well, after a 25 cent rally in the soybean market. Yeah, no kidding. Well, speaking of the markets, Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump in and talk pricing? Let's do that, Mike. All right, folks. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at Zaner. Remember, new year, new you. Put a marketing plan in place. Give our friends at Zaner a call to do just that. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. And we've got green on the screen and the grains again today, starting with the corn market. March corn was up four cents at 379 and three quarters, with May also up four to close at 387 and a half. In soybean strength continued today, the January 
January contract up five and a half cents, closed at nine dollars and a quarter. The March up five and three quarters, finished the day at nine twelve and three quarters. And Chicago wheat carried along some strength from yesterday as well. The March contract up seven cents, five thirteen and three quarters. The May also up seven to finish at five twenty even. That strength did not translate into gains in livestock. In live cattle, the February contract dropped thirty cents at one twenty three twenty two fifty. The April was down thirty seven fifty to close at one twenty five forty. In feeder cattle, the January contract dropped a dollar forty two fifty to wrap the day at one forty six fifty two and a half. The March down a dollar fifty on the day to close at one forty four. 45 and mixed trade in lean hogs with the February contract up 45 cents at 62.15 and the April down 12 and a half to finish at 67.42.50. Quick look at the dairy market in class three milk. The January contract was up three cents on the day to finish at 14.33 with the February up two to close at 14.77. Now let's keep some of the sunshine rolling by talking to our weather expert, Mr. Ed Valley. Oh, so we are going to talk with our good friend Ed Valley from Valley Weather Consulting. Ed, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. You know, Ed, I got to tell you, right now it is 45, almost 50 degrees. It's sunny. I'm in central Iowa. How long am I going to get to live this dream? <laughs> I tell you what, we've had a, a pretty good stretch of weather, relatively speaking, here to end the month of December and enter January here. And I think it's going to continue for a little while, especially the further south you are. I think we're going to be above normal through probably the first 10, maybe 15 days of the month. And relatively speaking, you really can't beat that for January. No, absolutely not. It feels like, too, I saw a couple, I think they were like memes or, or people posting on Twitter. They said, Mother Nature's got something bad in store for us. If you know, we've had a pretty mild winter so far. Are we going to continue to see that mild winter? Or are we going to be hit? with a colder winter later on in the season? That's a great question. And, and it's a question that we've gotten a lot from our customers because, you know, there, there were some signs originally that maybe we would turn colder towards the new year and things are getting delayed a little bit. And, and I do think as we look at some of our research here to end the month of January and, and as we get into February, there still remains a lot of, of signals that do point two colder risks as we get towards the end of the month and into February, but it's all related to what we call the stratosphere, which is way above our heads, uh, well above where planes fly. And it's essentially um, a different layer of the atmosphere that can control kind of how some of the uh, upper level patterns of the weather can perform. And originally we thought we were going to see it a little bit earlier and it seems like it's getting delayed and delayed uh, as to when some of this uh, colder uh, air is going to come down into the central and eastern United States. And at this point, I, I think we're really in good shape through the middle of the month. But towards the turn of the month into February, I do believe we are going to be in for some winter weather. But again, each day that passes here is a day we don't have to deal with winter, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And Ed, I, I want to get a little nerdy with you here. When you say up in the stratosphere, things are getting delayed, what, what, what is changing? I mean, what is affecting the stratosphere that is causing a delay in colder weather? Great question. And it's, it's extremely complex. It's, to be honest, it's, it's a topic in meteorology 
that is still not really that well understood. There's a lot of really good research that's ongoing about it. But in a simplistic view, the, the basically what happens is we have a specific uh, wind direction in the stratosphere. And, and what happens is as we get into this time of the year, um, that wind direction this year is in an easterly direction, which typically actually does support colder risks across a lot of the United States. However, uh, we're actually seeing that wind direction reverse uh, as we get deeper into the winter. And that combined with some of the temperature differences in the stratosphere, typically we can see what we call a stratospheric warming event, uh, which has been all over Twitter over the last few weeks. And it's, it's basically a phenomenon that when it occurs, it tends to allow the polar vortex, which I'm sure is another buzzword that you've heard before, it yeah. tends to allow that to almost split in that atmosphere, in the upper levels in the atmosphere. And, and simply put, that allows occasionally that, strat that polar vortex to link up with the lower atmosphere, and in turn, we just get cold. And, you know, it's, it's something that we've been watching uh, over the last few weeks, and it's occurring, but typically there's about a three to perhaps four-week lag time in when we see this occur in the upper atmosphere and the stratosphere and when the effects can be felt down where we live. So it's, it's basically a waiting game at this point to see if this, this disrupt, uh, disruption in the stratosphere leads to any of that cold weather across the United States. So the, the effect or the, the overall phenomenon is occurring that would lead to colder weather. We're just trying to wait and see how that links up with the patterns in the lower atmosphere where we live. So we've got some, we're talking colder weather. The, the thing that I think is so funny or so strange when I hear people talk about winter weather in particular is when people say, talk about, especially in the plains and the high plains region, they talk about droughts during the winter. And that's something that's, I'm like, okay, really? Like, what are we talking about here? We don't want rain in the winter anyways. But explain right. to us, what kind of drought season or are we heading into a drought season? And that's referring just basically to the snow coverage. Am I understanding that yep. kind of correctly? Yeah. So typically we're in what we call a, an El Nino. So basically all that means is it, it's characterized by what is going on in the Pacific ocean with respect to water temperatures. And right now those water temperatures are warmer than normal. So that's what we call an El Nino. And typically in those types of regimes, we actually see an active southern storm track. So if you're in, in Texas, if you're in Oklahoma, the Delta, into the southeast, those areas are typically a lot wetter. Now, the further north you go, naturally what happens is, is there's usually a ridge of high pressure up into the Canadian prairies and into the Dakotas and the high plains and into the upper Midwest. So typically in an El Nino, we tend to see the storm track further south, which obviously would lead to less precipitation and potentially, I guess you could call it a, a drought. Uh, however, if you remember, I believe it was last week, we saw a pretty significant system go through the plains. So it's, it's overall, it's, I wouldn't say we're in any sort of, of drought whatsoever. Um, however, typically as we get into El Nino, which is what we're in now, it would favor some drier risks across the northern tier as we get deeper into the winter, which I do think will occur. 
Now, Ed, while we're talking dryness, one of the things that's been moving the markets here the past couple of days has been this dryness in parts of Brazil. I know you take a look at the southern hemisphere. That weather impacts us. What are you seeing there? How long is this period of dryness going to extend across uh, some of those growing regions down in South America? Yeah, great question. And, and it's something that over the last 90 days or so, it hasn't really been too prominent. But over the last 30 days, that's really when we've seen some of this dryness set in pretty quickly across central and southern Brazil, including Mato Grosso, uh, down into Parana and Mato Grosso do Sul. So some of the pretty significant crop production areas are experiencing dryness right now. Uh, however, it's all relative. And I think that's, that's the real takeaway in my mind, because in those areas, typically in a given month, we see anywhere from five to eight inches of rainfall to begin with. So if you're 50% of normal in an area that sees eight inches of rain, that's, you can do the math, it's four inches. And if you look and compare that to how the summer is in the U.S., typically in a given month, we see anywhere between about three and five inches of rain in, in mm. Illinois and Iowa. So it's all relative, you know. So while it's, it's certainly a, a notable topic and something we need to continue to monitor, right now I, I think most of the areas have seen sufficient moisture However, there are some dry spots um, that are starting to develop in some of those regions. And as we move forward, unfortunately, I do think the drier risks are going to linger through a lot of the month of January. And obviously, given the time of the year and, and how this crop is progressing, I do think it is something that we're going to have to continue to watch. But right now, I think it's more of a talking point than a, you know, than a panic button, so to speak. So, Ed, with that being said, a lot of producers um, are, and, and analysts even are, are hesitant or nervous to see what comes out of Brazil and Argentina as they head into their harvesting season. Are they expecting the ideal climate, it sounds like, for harvest? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, for harvest purposes, I think we're going to be in pretty decent shape. Um, but it's, you know, with respect to the moisture we've already seen as we get into harvest, I think we're going to be okay, but I think given this dryness, I think that might have an impact in, in, from some of the customers I've talked to on some of the higher-end yields in some of those areas. But I think as we get into harvest, especially across Brazil, some of that drier weather should continue, which should obviously favor uh, some pretty decent harvest conditions. However, the further south you go into Argentina, it's the opposite that's going on. We're getting flooding rains in portions of Argentina. So it's really depending on, on where you're focusing because the mm. weather's quite variable across that region. Now, while we're talking harvest in South America, a lot of folks up here in the good old U.S. of A. and Canada are already starting to think about planting. Ed, I know we're still a long way away. We've got three months here ahead of us. Is there any modeling that you trust that can give us an indication of what to expect as we head into planting season? It's a great question. And, and the simple answer regarding the modeling is, is not really. <laughs> but I think <laughs> what, we, what, we, what we tend to do to kind of mitigate that is we do our own research and we kind of look into years that are similar uh, to this upcoming year. And as we get into the spring, typically what we're looking for is we're looking at that base state of the El Nino. And we, I believe we are going to still be in a weak El Nino as we get into the spring. And simply put, usually what that means into the springtime is the southern tier is going to remain quite wet. However, the further north you get in the ag belt, like we talked about in, in the winter, it's pretty similar. 
there are some drier risks, especially across basically I-80 northward in some of our research that we're doing. And, you know, while that, that off the top might sound a little concerning, it should be noted that our moisture profiles are going to be in, in very good condition after the wet fall and, you know, the wet early winter we've been having. Ed Valley, before we let you go, how can folks interact with you if they have their own specific weather questions or just want to connect with you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter at EdValleyWX, and my website is ValleyWX.com. Well, thank you so much for your kind of brief overview here of 2019 weather. We certainly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Well, Annie, it sounds like we're going to have some excitement before the winter is over, doesn't it? It does indeed, Mike. It does indeed. We've certainly got lots of excitement going on with Ag News Daily and the Global Ag Network. So, folks, please do check out our new website, globalagnetwork.com. You can interact with us there. You can interact with us on social media by searching for at Global Ag Network or at Ag News Daily if you want to interact directly with Mike and I. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.